Good evening, and welcome to television. Hey folks, this is Televised Revolution. Here we discuss all things TV and televisual. My name, Dan Barrett, joined here by Simon Band and Dennis Gigantic. Simon, I trust things are well. Things are going fantastically for me, Dan. Watching all sorts of Star Trek just all the time. It's amazing. God, you must have so much attention from the ladies, it's crazy. You wouldn't believe. A man of whom does get a lot of attention from the ladies, but he wants no part of it. It's Dennis Gigantic. And that's right. Exactly. No part of it. But in saying that, no part of it, I had a bit of um, surprise today on my telephone where a new app updated, which was the Nine um, Now app. And now you can actually um, Chromecast live, Channel 9, up to your Chromecast. See, this is why you've got no time for the ladies, because with the Nine Chromecasting, you can now just watch all the Eddie McGuire in the afternoon you need. Why do you need a ladies keep your company when you've got old mate Eddie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, anyway, and it's the next. only way to stream as time goes by, so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, let's not... Oh, God, let's not even... Let's just not... Hey, guys, there was an interesting news story during the week that I thought I would flag with you all. This is kind of like just a watch this space kind of a story. But there was a uh, thing flagged with the ASX a couple of days ago, advising that on Tuesday the 4th of October, so that's not this week but next, at 11am, the creditors for QuickFlix will be meeting, and they'll be deciding to make a choice of one of three options. They will either decide that the company will execute a deed of company arrangements, they will decide that the administration period that the company's under right now will come to an end, or they will declare that the company be wound up. Guys, I think that the presumption from all is that they'll wind up the company. Uh, do you think there's a chance that isn't going to happen? Anyone? No. Well, is it is it functioning? Like, are people still receiving quick flicks and paying for it at this point? I, I couldn't even tell you the status of the um, Ding Dong organization. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of it. Uh, I Honestly, I just don't think it's really got any potential to grow within a marketplace as it stands. Mm, but also, you know, when you have ASX in the news, you know, regarding QuickFlix, like even if it's still a, a going kind of concern servicing customers, uh, you know, people hear that and just go, ah, why keep on getting QuickFlix? It'll disappear one day and scuttle off on their own. Well, that's a big part of it. And I would honestly be surprised if there's anyone still subscribing to QuickFlix. If they are, the big question I would have is why? Like, I really don't understand why your money would go on that as opposed to one of the several other services that actually have a fairly decent content library that you could be accessing for that same amount of money. The only person I can think of is someone who's actually purchased and has been locked into the ecosystem for digital content. So, like, they own actual, you know, copies of movies, Ghostbusters. Yeah, see, now that's a really good thought because when we saw Easy DVD wind down last year... Sorry, not Easy DVD, Easy Flicks. I'd hate to get that confused. Uh, when we saw that wound down, you did see a lot of people who were quite disheartened because they had actually spent a fair bit of money investing in a digital catalogue through that company, only to find their digital files had vermoosed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is really the danger when you're playing around with smaller companies and buying digital libraries through that. 
Um, I would suggest that if you're going to buy digitally, go with one of the big companies and always make sure it's a company that will provide downloads so that even if you are losing access to your digital locker, you can still actually have those files downloaded in some form. Just pop them on a hard drive somewhere. Do you think you have a claim with the actual company? Say like a Sony or Columbia or it's all the same company, isn't it? But you know what I mean? I would probably guess that terms of service are written in such a way that it minimizes any likelihood of that actually being a thing. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah, but you know, who could, who could be bothered reading all of that? Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, uh, quick flicks. You know, I guess we'll say goodbye to those in a couple of weeks' time. But that, that's- uh, Simon Band. Oh, oh you sorry? know, just going to say there's going to be an amazing car park sale, though, of all those DVDs and their um, warehouse in Sydney. Yeah, I might go down there, do a few sick burnouts in the car park, and then pick up a few discs. Cool, then go to Sizzler. Oh, God. That really is a full day right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Simon, something that's completely in your wheelhouse. Uh, Doctor Who's spin-off series, have you been tracking this at all? Uh, yes, it's been announced that we will soon be seeing, although the date escapes me, the uh, youth or youth-er-orientated school-based Doctor Who uh, spin-off class, and it will also be fast-tracked onto the ABC iView. Yeah, so when it actually does play here, it will air on both ABC2 as well as on iView. So I think it appears on ABC2 on Monday the 24th of October, but on iView it will be straight after its UK release, which is on Saturday the 22nd. So I presume that probably means Sunday morning at about 6am-ish, just following the standard sort of way that works. Uh, now, I was a bit surprised to find out this was a little bit sort of more mature in focus than the normal Doctor Who show, just because I figured that being about high school students, it might actually play it a little bit younger than, say, maybe it's other Doctor Who spin-off series, Torchwood. Well, no, but Torchwood was swearing and hardcore, like, pounding. Torchwood was like Scooby-Doo with sex time. Like, that was not for for the kids. Um, maybe a more better comparison for a youth spin-off, kind of, or attachment would be the Sarah Jane Adventures, which was um, a kind of family or children's tea time viewing. Uh, although, you can't make that anymore because, you know, Vale... Um, uh, Elizabeth Sladen. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this Look, is... I, I don't actually understand what that means. Well, Elizabeth Sladen died, so they can't make the Sarah Jane adventures anymore. Is that an actress who was in the show? Yeah, because it was Elizabeth Sladen who was being Sarah Jane, and then there was the Sarah Jane adventures, which is her and her son and the computer, Mr. Smith, as well as the robot, K-9. Hmm. But it didn't stop Valerie... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that you were the only one that was allowed to drop obscure names. No. What? Awkward. Yeah. Huh? Uh, what? Um, no. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this does look moodier, I guess. It's moodier for the teens. Teens like darkness, I guess. Yeah. Well, the media release uh, suggested that it was aimed at an audience that were older than the standard family-friendly Doctor Who audience. So how mature that is, I guess we'll see. Uh, the person writing it is a guy named Patrick Ness who's a book author, but he's also been a producer on Doctor Who, I think, for quite a few seasons at this point. Uh, The first episode will have Peter Capaldi in it, but by and large, I think it's a spin-off, really, by association only. Yeah, um, like the Sarah Jane adventures uh, had one or two kind of brief moments, but actually mostly stopped itself with other classic Doctor Who companions rather than um, the current Doctor. Yeah. 
Hey guys, let's move on. I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the new TV shows that have launched. So last week we saw a whole bunch of them, but there was a couple that sort of stood out at me sort of when I caught up with them all by the end of the week. And I thought, well, you know what? The standard thing with US pilots are that the majority of them are going to be awful and one or two might sort of slip through and prove to actually be not so bad. Uh, Simon, I want to throw the question to you first. Did you see many of them and did any jump out at you as being not too bad? Um, I've seen a couple now, uh, probably half a dozen. So I've probably, what's that, about a quarter of the bajillion shows. Um, What have you seen? Let's just list them out. uh, I'm halfway into Easy, uh, although that's not broadcast, so I don't think that truly counts. Um, So Easy, because it's an obscure show, let's explain what it is. It's the Swanberg eight-part Netflix series, which is- What's uh, a Swanberg? uh, You know, that mumblecore fellow. Okay, there's a film director named Joe Swanberg. He is known for starting a mumblecore film movement. He's been given the opportunity by Netflix to produce, I think it's an eight or ten episode TV series called Easy. Each episode, it's an anthology show, so it's a different cast. But some episodes do sort of crisscross a little bit between the characters and their situations. So, brief example, first episode uh, is a couple struggling with sex after children. Their babysitter is the in the second episode, for example, and is the, the vegan Cinderella. Okay. Uh, did you like it? I didn't not like it. Like, it's perfectly pleasant. There's all this natural dialogue and stuff, like, you know. Uh, Dave Franco threw me a little bit, but otherwise I'm, I'll continue watching it for now. Yeah, I've certainly seen a few of them, but I'll just sit down one afternoon and binge them all on Netflix. It's quite an easy watch, I think. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about some actual broadcast shows, Simon, and not just the Netflix series. Uh, what did you actually watch? Uh, I watched uh, Designated Survivor, which is relatively easy to watch in this country because of, again, Netflix. And I thought that was not great, but I will probably watch every episode because that's what I'm like. Okay, now we are talking about brand new shows, many of which haven't officially launched in this country. So we'd actually explain what they are, maybe, Simon. But Designated Survivor's launched in this country. Well, it has, but I don't think it's really widely known yet that either A, what the show is, or B, that it is available in Australia. Okay, so a designated survivor is Kiefer Sutherland, who is the designated survivor, the one person who's kept in a secure room while the State of the Union goes on, just in case something bad happens. But then, dun-dun-dun, something bad happens, uh, and he becomes the president, and then we actually don't really find out much of what else is going on other than there's a mystery and we have to come back next week. Yes, this is the US ABC Network's uh, real big sort of flagship show they're trying to kick off. And it was a surprise uh, drop on Netflix during the week in Australia. So we'll actually get the episodes the same day as they air in the US, which is kind of nice. So it drops on Thursdays. Yeah. Now, I will say I had no intention really to stick around and watch episode two, but just the fact that it's so easily available, I think I might give it a look. Uh, I I think it's a very interesting premise, but I really get the feeling from that pilot episode they're not going to do anything interesting with it. And there's already so many balls in the air because you're like, oh, you've got this big long running mystery. 
But then in the very first episode, and you know, you have the main events, and you want to see what's going on in the main events, and then it flicks to a 15 days earlier flashback, kind of before you get to see anything, and then you get to see the uninteresting stuff not important to the plot, rather than it just coming up. And then you've got that FBI woman, and you're like, who's this FBI woman? They're getting a lot of screen time. And then they spend the whole time like going, oh, hey, can you call me back? I hope you're okay. I need to know you're okay. And we never find out who she's talking to. So it's, yeah. it's it's a bit naff because it's just got all the balls in the air already. The thing is, I think it's perfectly fine for a, have a show with all the balls in the air. I think it's perfectly fine for there to be unanswered questions because the idea is it's an ongoing narrative and therefore we don't really need everything answered in 45 minutes. But I would say that maybe the problem that I experienced with the first episode is that you've got this rather large cataclysmic event that's taking place. But none of the characters really exi- exist properly in a world where something this big in scope has actually happened. So we've seen the president and the majority of the government all brutally murdered as part of what seems to be an explosion at the Capitol building. Cut to what seems to be about like two and a half hours later, where surely everyone should be feeling a little bit numb and not really quite sure how to deal with a world that has radically changed around them. I mean, think about September 11. We've all kind of gone through this. These people are directly affected by it. And so what do you have? You've got the president of the wife sitting around laughing and making jokes in the room with his speechwriter. Like, that doesn't really quite feel natural to me as how they would be acting. There was no reference of, oh, is this how we should be acting? There was just no real cognizance of the fact that something major really has happened. Yeah. Like, it's all, it's all narrative. It's no real emotional pathos. Yeah, it was it was peculiar, and it's also weird that there's this functioning and people are just driving around town, able to get to places after this huge kind of war-like event has occurred. Um, exactly, especially in Washington, of all places. Yeah, which, you know, it has some infrastructure, but it's not, you know, like a huge metropolis, like a... No, well, I mean, I'm just thinking, because it is a small city, effectively, if something like this happened, that shit gets locked down. Yeah. Like, it's... Of all cities, for that to be completely in lockdown within minutes of a major event, like, surely there is contingency in place for Washington to do that. Hmm. Yeah, no, it is It is an odd... It is an odd thing. And the, the fact that so much of the power structure has been taken out in the premise. And it's really hard to talk about the show because I would have loved to have gone into this show and just gone, what's the show about? And then have this big kaboom and just gone, ooh, and bit my fingernails. But, I, you know, you have to know what the show's about or you won't watch it. Uh, it was kind of, I don't know, I'd have kind of liked this big reveal where everybody gets exploded. Yeah. Now, there are people who genuinely really love this pilot. Um, I don't quite understand it. But Dennis, this, I'm guessing you haven't seen it, but is it something that sounds interesting to you? So-so. Mm, not quite sure yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I threw to you. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> okay, so Simon, what else have you watched? Um, what else? Oh, I tried to watch the first few minutes of Ball, the uh, loosely based on Dr. Phil's early career in kind of vibe only um that was some of the biggest garbage i've seen in a long time and i didn't last 10 minutes um so that was a thing um 
Uh, yeah, Bull is one of the few shows I don't think I did watch last week. Yeah, I gave that one a you, big miss. you don't need to watch it at all. It has, yeah, no, I realize it that. has nothing in it for you or for anybody. Um, like I, I normally go, oh, some people might like this or maybe this isn't my thing, but it's just smarmy people using technology, talking quickly, knowing exactly what's going to go on. Like it's just tedious television. Um, mm. Uh, I saw The Good Place. I've watched the first three chapters of that now, and I was thoroughly uh, enjoying of that, uh, although I don't think you were quite enjoying of it. No. So, this is the show. It's Kristen Bell from Veronica Mars. She is someone of whom has died. She wasn't the nicest person on Earth. And somehow through what seems to be some sort of administrative type error, she's ended up in The Good Place, which is effectively just heaven. So, The Good Place, the area that she is in heaven is, because heaven seems to be broken up into various forms of uh, managed um, sections. Neighbourhoods. And the person managing that. What's that? A neighbourhood. Neighbourhood. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, the person looking after her neighbourhood is Ted Danson. And Ted Danson was uh, seemingly never human at any point, but he has human characteristics. Now, she is saddled with this guy of whom is supposedly her soulmate. He's an ethics professor, and so he's there to guide her through to become a better person while she's trying to, you know, make a place for herself in heaven. But through happenstance. Yeah. Now, this is a show which I think has a very interesting premise that, if put forward in the right way, could make for a very charming, like, cinema comedy. Like, it's a film idea. It's not an ongoing narrative. And I really felt in episode three, which seems to just be treading water and just seeing what they could do within this uh, premise that they'd established for themselves, there's just nothing really happening in the show that feels compelling. If they manage to uproot the entire premise of the show to a certain degree and treat it much the same way as they did with uh, Parks and Recreation, where after the first season they realized the premise as it stood didn't really work and that some of the characters needed to be softened and hardened and grow it out a little bit more then this could actually be something. But the premise as it stands at the moment, it's too rigid and just too silly. And there's just nothing to it. Like, it just kind of feels like I'm wasting my time watching this program. Look, but it's not... See, I really like it. I find it very funny. I quite enjoy the jokes in it. It is very joke-heavy, though. Um, I see, I don't even think it's that joke-heavy. See, because there was lots of lols around here. But, you know, again... Maybe, maybe my love for both uh, Ted Danson as well as Kristen Bell uh, has blinded me a little bit. But I kind of like this kind of positive, silly, relatively high concept sitcom that I think is is genuinely very funny. I do totally agree with you, though, that in the ensemble there is not much fleshing out or kind of hardening up of characters. That in the ensemble. And it's not really much of an ensemble. It's kind of Kristen Bell plus tagalongs. Uh, you know, it's it, you may not particularly enjoy it, uh, and uh, you from the first kind of the first part of the first kind of pilot double episode. I did sit there going, how the hell are they going to make even a, what is it, 12 or 13 episode run? Uh, how the hell are they going to make a show out of this? It then kind of changes and develops, and then you see, especially by the end of the the third one, where not everything is as it seems, or is it, um, spoilers, uh, that, you know, that maybe it does have some legs, but I did have to watch three episodes 
before I was convinced that there would be an ongoing storyline for me to watch week to week. One of the big problems with the show going forward, I really feel, is that you can't really grow any of the supporting characters at this stage. The entire premise of the program is, they're all in heaven. None of the characters can really prove to themselves, prove to just be a bit of a jerk. Kristen Bell is the only character in this program that has the ability to really shift her personality type. Beyond that, it kind of actually violates the entire premise of the program. And that's where this program is. Because the thing with comedy is, a lot of it comes from conflict. But it's hard to have conflict, really, in an environment where every single person is an inherently exceedingly good person. But see, not everything's filled with success. So we see kind of Michael not quite succeeding and and self-doubting. So you can have some there. But also, you know, from the end of that third one, we know not everybody is who they seem. But then you also have, you know, is she going to be maybe a positive influence on her goody two-shoes soulmate that she's been put with accidentally? You know, is there, you know, is he going to be able to conflict with the outside world as he changes? But the thing is that the characters really can't grow or change, otherwise then they violate their ability to be in this good place. Yeah, but I have a sneaking suspicion, and this is not even really spoiler zone, vague spoiler zone, I don't think anybody's meant to be there in the good uh, place, and I think it's just a ruse, and I think they're all people, but that's neither here nor there. No, no, you're onto something with this. I suspect that if they do decide they actually need to upend the concept, which I really think they're going to have to do, there is the possibility that this isn't heaven at all, but rather there's something else going on, some sort of computer matrix, there's something happening that isn't necessarily heaven. And that is the only way that this show can actually move forward. That said, it is a broadcast network TV show, and honestly, find a TV show that has completely upended its premise to that level of degree and continued on, networks are not going to go for that at all. Like It, it just isn't going to happen. Yeah, but, but see, because we see this at the end of the third episode, that you know, that. I don't want to call it a reveal because it's too half-assed anyway. Um, uh, but the fact that, you know, uh, Kristen Bell's not alone in her predicament uh, is, you know, where I think, you know, the, the show's going to move forward. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really having trouble. I'm going to stick it out. I'll watch a few more episodes because it's Michael Scher from Parks and Recreation. He has earned the right for me to the right, that's not even what I'm looking for, uh, but he's earned for me to sit down and go through a number of episodes and write this out with it. Also, you know, he has a track record of being on a show with a really crappy first season. He does. So that's the other thing that I very much have firmly in mind. So I will write out, like, if I've hit episode six and seven, and I'm really still just not feeling it, I'm giving up. But at this stage, I'm just saying massive reservations on this one going forward. Hmm. Um, I'm trying oh, to think of what other shows have we seen. I think we talked about Son of Zorn last week, didn't we? We did, which is awful. Did you watch Pitch at all? No, I didn't watch Pitch, and because of the internet, I spoilt myself on the ending. But I might go watch Pitch. Yeah, so Pitch does have a bit of a, to use a baseball metaphor here, a bit of a curveball right at the end. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, God, I hurt. I laugh so hard. How do I do it? So the idea of pitch is that it is the first woman that's allowed into competitive um, baseball in the US. So anyway, as you would imagine in a situation like that, you've got a huge amount of media attention on her. There are a whole lot of little 10-year-old girls of whom are there with signs about how she's their hero. It's a lot of pressure on this lady. So what I really like in this first episode is you've got this woman out on a pitching mound 
she's there pitching as hard as she can. Nothing's really landing for her. And so she's got to get over the psychological barrier that she has in place to actually overcome the fear that she seems to have. And it's just purely, she's freaking out. There is just way too much attention. She's choking. And I really like this first episode is just about her overcoming the choking that she's doing to be at the stage where she can even live up to her potential. Because until she can actually start pitching a ball properly, it's really just conceptual that she has the ability to do it. So I kind of like that. But what I particularly like is that it is being broadcast in the last week of September. It is right at the time where we're seeing the first woman running for president of the United States. And the fact that you do have a woman running for this major political role means that there's a lot of questions about, you know, whether or not a woman's able to handle that. And whether these questions are being asked directly or whether these just are questions about, oh, is she healthy enough to do this? And we've all seen this crap going on for the last couple of months with Hillary, where there's just all these accusations that are being leveled at her. And the accusations are only really there because she's a woman. And, you know, historically, people have viewed women as not necessarily being as physically able as a man is. And so this TV show is kind of doing this in a sporting arena where women may not necessarily have the um, physical sort of upper body strengths that, you know, you can necessarily have women and men competing in the same um, sporting arena, sporting events. But each of them, like women have certain types of strength that a man doesn't have and vice versa. And this is what the show kind of deals with. Like she has a certain intellectual approach to the pitch that kind of compensates for the physical upper body strength that she doesn't have in the show. And it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition against the world right now. Like, it's kind of the show that I think we need. Yeah, it's also interesting looking at, you know, you compare it to these other shows where you go, oh, a woman pitching baseball, that's totally unbelievable. Ah, Michael Weatherly's a psychologist who can manipulate the outcomes of trials using psychology. Yeah, I believe that. Like, it's this bizarre, you know, everything on television this season's relatively made-up bullshit, uh, and yet this is the one where people are choosing not to believe it. Yeah, I haven't actually really heard that many people choosing not to believe pitch. And I will just say that it is, of all the pilots I've seen, it's the one that I think has the most potential moving forward. Just because I think there's a lot of areas to do with professional sports that you can play with in this arena. Mm. Yeah. Uh, The other shows that kind of actually caught my attention of things that I liked was uh, there was a TV version of The Exorcist. Which, honestly, I thought this isn't going to work for all the obvious reasons. Mm. Uh, Key amongst the obvious reasons being that horror shows generally don't work on TV. TV requires a certain sort of quickness of pace around it, whereas the greatest horror movies usually have a very deliberate pace to them. Sometimes they move quickly, but sometimes they need scenes to linger, to really build up a certain level of suspense, so that when there is some sort of um, shock moment or some sort of revelation that cuts to the inner core as to you know what humans uh, perceive to be right and proper, it doesn't necessarily work on TV. It just Cuts of the chase way too quickly. This TV show, it's surprisingly quite good. There were two or three moments which were genuinely creepy and unnerving. Okay. So, yeah, if um, Dennis, you would have been someone of whom's seen the movie The Exorcist a bunch of times, haven't you? Yeah, I've watched that one. Um, and I watched the. Did they re release it in the cinemas again with like a remake? Extra scene. Yeah, they did. I'm sure I saw it with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and it is. It is deliberate. Like it. Yeah. <sighs> On the big screen, you know, it gives you the effect. Um, on the small screen, um, and trying to get into a series, 
yeah. you'd have to you have to twist a whole plot line in there where there was some sort of component of the mother and the father and then keep on doing that then expands out to the family and things like that which i'm assuming they're going to do well they they kind of they kind of do so in this one it's not about a little 12 year old girl of whom's been taken over by the devil but rather it's about a mother who's like a devout churchgoer and she's concerned that there's a devil in her house anyway the daughter who you just presume is going to be the one to be taken doesn't necessarily turn out to be the family member of whom is uh, has been seduced by a devil. Doesn't that take? Anyway, I just sort of leave it at that. Wouldn't that just sort of be like a little mini series? That's about it. Well, this is it. So my presumption is is that we're just going to see the story resolved within the 12, 13 episode short run series that I think it'll be. But then they'll probably take the priest character and do something different next season. That would be my guess. But maybe just to sell just a little bit more for people, uh, the mother is played by Gina Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice seeing her back on the screen. And the father's played by Alan Ruck, of whom people would know from playing Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Also from Spin City. He's in Speed. Uh, you know, people know who that guy is. It's but anyway, that guy. It's a, yeah, it's that guy. No one knows him by name, but he's a very pleasant screen presence. Do they do the same sort of um, process of um, using um, quiet and loud noises to to sort of create the atmosphere oh look they do to an extent um i don't want to really say too much about it because once you do that you kind of take all the air out of the program mm-hmm. and while i'm not saying that it is definitely one of the most finely crafted hours on tv it's certainly got something going for it and it certainly earned a watch for episode two which not every new broadcast show usually allows for that if i watch this is this something where at the end of the whole episode when i go to bed I need to make sure that I position the bed so that my partner's close to the door so that whatever gets them, gets them first, then I can run out. Look, I've known you for many years now and you are a massive wuss. So, yes, Yes, I will say that may be an issue. Okay, then. (laughs) It's like I sacrificed my partner. It's great, isn't it? Rest in peace, Matt. Why we have partners. (laughs) It is what it is. Uh, The other thing that I thought was quite good was This Is Us. Which, no, have either of you seen this at all? No, and again, I accidentally spoiled myself on this one because it's got another twist. Oh, all the twists. Why are you reading about these programs you weren't watching? Oh, look, I wasn't going to watch it anyway because it was so... Everybody talking about it, I just went, oh, another hype show, I don't care. Like, honestly, I just sometimes give up. Yeah, you really shouldn't bother watching the programs that people are saying are good. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right, because I don't like good shows. Yeah, well, this has been proven. However, uh, this is a program, basically, the idea is is that, much like the movie Crazy Stupid Love, which is by the same writer, uh, it's a group of people of whom seems to be reasonably unconnected in most ways, but then you actually find out that all of them have a deep connection to a certain degree. And I won't say sort of too much more than that, but... Um, you've got a few characters. There's a brother and sister in it. Uh, the sister's dealing some weight issues. The brother is a TV actor who is only really appreciated for his hunky, smoldering good looks and not necessarily for the acting prowess that he believes he has inside him. Uh, you've got uh, a couple of whom, uh, one of them's uh, the lady in the partnership, uh, is about to give birth to triplets and it's the father sort of dealing with it. Um, so it's about those two in hospital as she's giving birth. And then you've also got a man of whom is trying to reconnect with his father, uh, who he hasn't seen since he left him on the doorstep of a fire station when he was an infant. 
Anyway, you've got these various stories. They all kind of interweave to a certain degree. I expected this to be complete tosh. I'm not really a big fan of relationship dramas like this. I kept on being told that this was like the new parenthood. And the thing with parenthood was that while it was perfectly pleasant, it wasn't really a show I felt compelled to want to watch more than two to three episodes of. Um, somehow I have seen about three seasons of that program. Uh, I don't really understand how that happened. This Is Us, I had no interest at all in wanting to stick with it. But by the end of the first episode, I was pretty thoroughly won over. So if it can defrost the icy uh, feelings of one Dan Barrett, this might be one to keep an eye out for. Mm. Yeah. But no, it is a very charming program. And I'm looking forward to catching up with more. Uh, Simon, did you see anything else during the week? Um, I watched the first, like, six minutes of Speechless, and then my internet dropped out, so I've been meaning to go back to see that. Yeah, you're fine. Will I, will I um, like it? Is it good? Is it meh? Uh, look, Speechless, it's a perfectly fine comedy. This is the one, uh, mini driver comedy about a mother dealing with her son who suffers from... Um, specifically? MS, maybe? I, I, I don't think it is. It's... Uh, it's something. It's, it's some sort of degenerative illness. Lou Gehrig's so, other disease. Yeah, I don't think it's Lou Gehrig's other disease, or maybe it's his other other disease. Uh. But no, anyway, it's a child of whom his mental faculties are fine, but his body isn't physically able to uh, communicate with the world at large. Anyway, it's kind of about the broader family and the sacrifices they've made for this uh, child to be able to have a certain quality of life. But it's a comedy, and it's really sort of bitter and sarcastic, and nicely sort of hard edged. And while it was a perfectly entertaining half hour, I kind of reached the end of it and I'm like, well, I don't really want to watch this every week. Okay. What is it because, yeah. is it because the, the, what, the laughs aren't there or it's just a sad world thought, that you kind of don't well, want to have to live in? Well, it's kind of the latter. So, I mean, the laughs are there. Like, it's reasonably funny. I don't think it's amazingly funny. So, I mean, it's... It's to try to find a comparison, it's not quite Malcolm in the Middle funny, but like if you sort of had 25% less Malcolm in the Middle, like comedy-wise, like that's probably about where it sits. So it's perfectly fine. Like I laughed, I felt everything that I was supposed to through the program, but I just felt a little bit bad. Like it wasn't necessarily a world that I want to be in all that often. Because, you and know- I can have sympathy for that world, but I just don't want to visit every week. Because, the, you know, there's a long history of shows where, you know, it's not a rosy place. Like, you know, Roseanne is poverty-based and uh, things like that. And that's still, you know, a very funny, much-loved show. That it doesn't have to be a, a necessarily a turn-off. That it's like, oh, I, I just don't want to kind of see this anymore. In part, I think, because it's kind of an issue show to a certain degree. Ah, because there's like a specific identifiable problem rather than just the situation. Yeah, that's that's actually probably a pretty good way to phrase it. Okay. I yeah, can, and so I find that a bit... Yeah. yeah. No, I can anyway. understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, TV is supposed to be an entertainment to a certain degree. Hmm. And... You know, if this was like a hard-hitting drama kind of going through the situation, it wouldn't be your cup of tea anyway, would it? Well, I mean, again, it kind of comes down to this idea of if it was a film, I'd find that to be a very engaging way to, you know, experience that. But just the idea of having to come back to it week after week, it's not really what I'm looking for. And also, I kind of, I really wanted it to work because I wanted to see uh, Mini Driver in a successful sitcom, you know, this year. 
I would love to see Mini Driver and something successful. You know, but it uh, never happens. R.I.P. About a boy. Yeah, I, I do miss that. She was great in that. Yeah, and that show wasn't terrible. Ish. Oh, look, I found it downright charming at times. I was completely on board for that show. Yeah, which I don't think I ever saw the last couple of episodes. I need to rectify that. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. I think you and I quit at around the same time when um, Who's-His Face moved back from New York and then the show I stopped watching. That was the beginning of season two, and I got about halfway through that season. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, guys, we're going to wind this up with just one last thing. Dennis Jugancic, who do you think is the most highly paid TV actors currently working in the US? Most highly paid TV actors. Yes. So it obviously would have to be something that's um, a really popular TV show. That is correct. So I would say... The guys from... Um, what the hell is that show called? You are correct. It is that program. Can no, you name no, 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 no. Let him finish. Because oh he's going to say something totally from left field. It'll be Modern like, family? oh, obviously it's Mythbusters. Um, you know, it'll be something like Sorry, that. Sorry, did, did you say Modern Family, Dennis? Yep. No, you were wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, I thought you were going to say the Big Bang Theory, oh, in which case it. you'd be yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, those guys. It would be one of those ones. Big Bang Theory, yeah. That'd get a lot of cash. Okay, so I would have thought that Jim Parsons and Johnny Galecki from that program would be making the same amount of money. Evidently not, because Jim Parsons makes $1.5 million a year more. Which is Jim Parsons again? He's the main guy that plays Sheldon. Oh, he makes that. Yeah, because it's all around him, though. That's why. And he he was kind of, but they're um, they're the co-leads on the program. Yeah, but But anyway. Go on. How much do you think he makes per year? How much I think uh, he makes 10 mil. Higher. Higher. I mean, if he was making only $10 million, he'd only be number 13 on the list of highest paid TV actors. Okay. Which is Michael Weatherly from TV's Bull. Who has a who actually has a higher Q score, although apparently that doesn't count anymore. Let's not talk about Q scores. Um, Dennis, come on. 54. 54? That's ridiculous. $25.5 million. That's ridiculous. Still, that's, that's close. No, but what's hilarious, though, is that, you know, Dan said how much he makes an episode and they make 22 episodes a year. So this guessing game was actually simple mathematics for those playing at home. No, no, I said how much does he make a year? Oh. But you said he made like, uh, what is it, one and a half million a year, uh, an episode, sorry, isn't it? No, I said one and a half million a year more. Oh, okay. Sorry, I should pay attention to the show I'm on. You should. But anyway, okay, so the top four performers are the four guys from The Big Bang Theory. So you've got Jim Parsons, Johnny Galecki, Simon Helberg, and Kunal Nayar. Nayar? Nayar? Yeah. Um, number five, you've got from the other huge TV show right now, NCIS, and Mark Harmon, who makes $20 million an episode. Uh, then at number six, you've got the guy from Modern Family, Ty Burrell, $12.5 million. Now, Nathan Fillion, formerly the star of uh, Castle, was pulling in $12 million a year. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, something I thought was particularly interesting, and Ray Romano is still pulling in $12 million a year. Now, I presume that is from, uh, essentially, Raymond Repeat still going. I can't imagine he's doing that for, what shows he in at the moment? Uh, he was in Vinyl. I can't imagine he was pulling in $12 million per year for Vinyl. Well, the money had to go somewhere with that show. Yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah. Now, in terms of actresses, uh, Sophie Vergara, Sophia Vergara, uh, pulls in $43 million. Ooh. 
Now, that in part will be because she also has some fairly lucrative production deals, I believe. Yes, and she actually has a series, doesn't she? Like, that she's yeah. not on, but I think that she's a producer for Yeah, I think, that's, I think there's actually quite a few of them. Mm. She's been very uh, successful there. Uh, Kaylee Coco? The, late, the Big, uh, Bang from Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, blonde lady from Big Bang Theory. Uh, $24.5 million dollars which is all right. So she actually makes half a million dollars more than Johnny Galecki as well. Mm. Uh, Mindy Kaling does $15 million and that'll be in part because I'm sure um, because she owns the program or at least, um, you know, owns a production company that produces a show, I would guess. Um, one of the more notable names in there are Juliana Margulies. She's there at number nine, making $10.5 million. Uh, the lady from, and I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's the series which, uh, Quantico. Quantico. Uh, she puts in- yeah, she pulls in $11 million a year. Hmm. Now, I understand that she's quite big in India and was a Bollywood star before she moved into Hollywood. So maybe that's pulling in some of that cash, but I found that to be particularly odd. Yeah. Uh, the other notable thing is that Emily Deschanel, formerly of TV's Bones, uh, was doing $7.5 million, making half a million dollars more than her sister Zoe, of whom only does $7 million for New Girl. But, you know, people actually watch Bones. Yeah, I mean, that could be the issue. Like, that's pretty much it, right? No. But anyway, um, anyway, just some interesting perspective there as to what your favourite TV stars might be making. Hmm. Provided that your favourite TV stars are on The Big Bang Theory. See, because I was thinking about this from a you know the point of view, because you know, and it's it's often joked that you know even though the Big Bang Theory is the biggest show in the world right now, or it's the biggest American uh, show, uh, that you know it still has audience numbers that are lower than what After Mashes were, only because the audience numbers kind of have shrunk. And I was going, wow, why are they making so much money as TV talent, even though fewer and fewer people are watching the shows? But then I. Kind kind of realize, no, that's entirely the wrong argument. They're making this money because it's more essential than ever having these kind of stars that draw people. And I know they're probably not the stars that draw you guys and I to the screen, but that, you know, generally draw people. It's actually more important than ever to have, uh, uh, you know, these big names on the screen. Indeed, indeed. Anyway, guys, let's wrap this up very quickly. Uh, Simon, what have you been watching on TV this week? Anything beyond uh, Star Trek? Just so much Star Trek. Oh, uh, Poldark. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, Poldark and Star Trek. I've been a very cool guy. Yeah, that sounds kind of rad. Uh, Dennis Gigantic, what have you been watching? Dennis Gigantic he's, has uh, left us. He's muted. He's Sorry. muted. Um, okay. I'm unmuted. Now, let's just do that again. Dennis Duganzik, what have you been watching? Yeah, I've been watching a bit of Gogglebox again. I love that show. I can't get enough of that show itself. I love watching people watching TV and just then commenting on what's happening there, especially the reality TV shows, because I like them ripping into it. Other than that, um, watching a bit of Star Trek. Actually, Next Gen, there's been a lot of um, just bits and pieces, but I watched a couple episodes of um, Next Gen, which I really like. It always seems like you and Simon have formed some sort of hive mind like the Borg. I don't know. I I keep on, every time I get home sometimes, I just flip it on, on channel 10, 10 or 1 or 11, whichever one it is on the channel 10 digitals, and um, just let it go and watch it. It's great. 
because that's just that's how you're watching it as part of your um, schedule, isn't it? It's now a ritual. See, where all of the Star Treks are on Stan as well as Netflix, so I've been making a um, a considered kind of just episode by episode complete binge, which is maybe mm-hmm. not as healthy. Yeah, um, I will say that I did end up seeing the episode where Tasha Yar got brutally murdered at the end of season one. Rest in peace, Tasha Yar. Rest yeah. in peace. And then, and then her death and her sexual relationship with Data is, you know, then why he didn't get chopped up and he got personhood. I mean, you know, it's important. <laughs> anyway, because I could feel Simon's hymen growing back over then. Mm. Um, I just want us to move on with what I've been watching of late. And it's a little show called Luke Cage, which debuts this weekend on Netflix. Uh, if you are someone of whom has been intrigued by the Marvel superhero shows but not entirely sold yet. This might be the one to get you over the line. I honestly think this is the best of the Marvel superheroes TV shows so far. Okay. That's a yeah. big call. Yeah. I just think it's generally really quite good. It's kind of out of sight meets Jackie Brown, but with superpowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well worth a look. Anyway, guys, let's get out of here. Simon Band, you're on the internet where? Uh, at Simon Band. Dennis Gigantic, same question, different location. At DND AOS. And people can find me at the Dan Barrett. But folks, check out televisedrevolution.com. There you'll find our weekly guide to the TV shows that you might want to give a look to during the week. Uh, we usually keep the list of five because that's manageable, quite frankly. Anyway, check that out. And of course, we're across the social media as well, both Facebook and Twitter. The Twitter, which is yet to be purchased by a big multinational company, I think we're all very curious to see where that's going to wind out in the next couple of days. Anyway, guys, this has been Televised Revolution. We'll catch you next week. (laughs) 